Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, The False Prophet. All right, well, in Revelation chapter 13, you know by now that John has had a couple visions of two dreadful beasts, okay? So in the first half of Revelation chapter 13, he has a vision of the first beast. That's verses 1 through 10. And this week, we're going to look at his vision of the second beast, and that's verses 11 through 18. And so by way of quick review, who was the first beast? If you weren't here last week, the beast is both a regime and a ruler. The regime is a revived Roman Empire, and the ruler is the coming Antichrist. And so at some point in the future, no one knows when, but what's going to happen is that 10 nations are going to join together, most likely in the ancient boundaries of the ancient Roman Empire. We get all this from Daniel and Revelation. We look at the 10 horns of the beast and the 10 toes of the image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. And we find out the Bible says those 10 horns, those 10 toes, Um, signify 10 nations. And so it's a confederation of 10 nations. It is a revived Roman Empire, and it will be the last form of Gentile government on the earth. The ruler will be the coming Antichrist. And so I've already told you that halfway through the coming tribulation, the Antichrist is going to commit four atrocities. The first atrocity is that he's going to break the seven-year peace treaty that he made with Israel and her neighbors. The second atrocity is he's going to strut like he's all that into the rebuilt Jewish temple, and he's going to sit down as if he were God. Then, third atrocity, he's going to take an image of himself. I don't know how big a thing is going to be. It may be giant, but nonetheless, he's going to put a statue of himself, talk about an egomaniac, in the holy place of the rebuilt temple. Jesus said this. I'm not making this stuff up. This is Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. It's the abomination which causes desolation. And then fourth atrocity, he will blaspheme the name of the true God, the God of Israel. Jesus, once again, he called this the abomination of desolation. Why that name? Because to set up Ladies and gentlemen, an idol in the rebuilt Jewish temple, that's an abomination. Has anybody ever heard of the second commandment out of the Big Ten? Right? You shall not make any graven image. You shall not bow down. This guy not only makes a graven image of himself, but he puts it right there in the holy place of the Jewish temple. That's an abomination to God. And it causes desolation. What does that mean? That means that God, in response, is going to pour out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. Cataclysmic judgments are coming to this planet during the last seven years of history as we know it. And the judgments are going to make the earth desolate. And so after the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist will only have 42 months left three and a half years, 1,260 days, and he's going to try to to destroy as many lives as possible, and nobody's going to be able to stand in his way. That's the first beast, and now we come to the second beast. Look at verse 11. And then I saw 
another beast rising out of the what? The earth. The first beast came out of the sea. You remember that in verse one? Now this guy comes out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. Let's just take the guesswork out. Who's the second beast? He's the false prophet. How do you know? Because he's named the false prophet in Revelation 16, 13, 19, 20, and 20, verse 10. And so the first beast will be a coming political ruler. The second beast will be the coming religious leader, and both of them will be empowered by Satan. We see here the formation of what many have called the unholy trinity, made up of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And so Satan desires nothing more than to ascend to the place of the Father and to take the place of God. He said, I will, five times in Isaiah chapter 14. He said, I will exalt my throne above the stars or angels of God. I will make myself like the most high God. He's a self-made man, and it stinks. Ladies and gentlemen, please don't be a self-made man or a self-made woman. There's no true happiness and joy in that. You know how you find true happiness and true joy? You get on your knees and you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you let God tell you what his will for your life is. He made you with a purpose. And then fulfill that purpose, fulfill that will. Forget the self-made stuff. Doesn't work, you'll be miserable, I guarantee it. But when you find your purpose, that God created you for, you'll be so happy. Satan tries to imitate God the Father. The Antichrist comes, he tries to imitate Christ the Son. We all know the Bible teaches over and over and over and over again, Old and New Testament, that the Christ, the Messiah, will return literally to the earth and he will rule over the entire planet. I personally can't wait. And so the Antichrist, he's coming during the tribulation period and what's his goal? He wants to rule over the world too. And he actually pulls it off for 42 months. He imitates Christ. And then the false prophet imitates the Holy Spirit. What is the job of the Holy Spirit today? Jesus went up and the Spirit came down. Why? The Spirit draws people and points people to Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. What is the false prophet going to do during the last seven years of history as we know it? He's going to draw people and point people to the Antichrist. He imitates the Holy Spirit. Leave it to Satan to imitate or try to imitate the Holy Trinity in his quest to usurp the position of God. And so look at verse 11 again. Let's dig out some more truth out of this verse. It says, Then I saw another beast... And he's rising out of the what? The earth. As I just said, the first beast that John saw back in verse 1 was rising out of the sea. The word sea in Scripture is a metaphor for the Gentile nations. And so the coming political ruler will be not a Jew. I know some people believe that. No. He will absolutely be a Gentile. And so the first beast comes out of the sea. The second beast now rises out of the earth. What does the word earth 
refer to. Some say he'll be a Jew. I, I don't really agree with that. Others say the, uh, the earth refers to the bottomless pit. And so you remember back in one of our prior studies, you got all these demons that are being released from the abyss. And so the false prophet, the coming religious leader, will be empowered by the demonic realm. I think that's a good interpretation. Other people say that this uh, beast rising out of the earth, the word earth means worldly, he'll be worldly minded. In other words, the message of the true prophets of God comes from heaven, but this guy's message, it comes straight from the earth. It's carnal, it's worldly. Now, I think it's probably gonna be a combination of the last two that I just mentioned. So if you're taking notes, the false prophet will be empowered by the demonic realm, absolutely, we know that's gonna happen, and his message will attract those who are what? Absolutely, that will happen too. So I think it's a combination of, the, of both. Now, Paul said in Romans 8, 6, yes, Romans 8, Romans 8 6, Paul said, uh, to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Just let the word of God sink in for a minute. To be carnally minded, so your mind's always on the world, is at least a death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. How do you apply that to the tribulation period? Well, those during the first half of the tribulation period who listened to the message of the two witnesses. You guys remember them in, in chapter 11? The two witnesses will come on the scene and they will preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ during the last seven years. Those who, thank God there's millions of them, those who listen to their message and are spiritually minded will receive spiritual life and peace. But, sad to say, the vast majority of the world in those days they're gonna listen to another message. It's the message of the false prophet, the worldly, carnal message of the false prophet, and that is going to lead to spiritual death. Two witnesses preaching first half of the tribulation, false prophet, mainly his ministries in the second half of the tribulation period. Let's dig out even more in verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns, like a what? A lamb. And so the first beast, that political leader that's coming on the scene, the Antichrist, he's got seven heads and 10 horns. It's kind of ugly, intimidating, ruthless. The second beast, the false prophet, the religious leader, well, isn't he kind of cute, right? And so he's mild, he's gentle, he's winsome, but it's all a facade because he will be the greatest religious fraud the world has ever seen. Why? Because the very end of verse 11 says that when the false prophet speaks, he speaks like a what? Dragon. On the outside, this guy's a lamb. On the inside, he's a dragon, and everything that comes out of this guy's mouth will be straight from the pit of hell. You see, it's called deception. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Paul said that Satan comes disguising himself as an angel of light. What we have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that when, when Satan comes on the scene, he doesn't come with horns, a cape, the pitchfork, <laughs> you know, red or whatever. 
Because then we all know that's the devil. No, he doesn't come like that. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Paul says when he comes, he comes disguised as an angel of light, like a lamb, harmless, kind, winsome, but it's all a facade. We gotta understand that Satan is not dumb. When it comes to the first beast, the coming political leader, he can't let anybody know this guy's a beast. And so the Antichrist, first horseman of the apocalypse, Revelation 6-2, he comes on a white horse with a bow and no arrows. What does that mean? He doesn't come initially creating war. He doesn't take over the world by warfare. He wins the approval of people through peaceful diplomacy. He gets the Jews and their neighbors to sign a seven-year peace treaty. And the whole world looks on and said, this guy brought peace to the Middle East. If he can do that, he can do anything. And they're deceived. It's a facade. Satan isn't dumb when it comes to the second beast. He can't let the world know as this guy emerges on the world scene that he's a beast. So he comes like a lamb, gentle and winsome and kind. And verse 13 says that he's gonna be able to perform signs and miracles. And that's really gonna deceive the world. And almost the entire world goes after this religious leader. Before I go on, let me just say this. Just because a religious leader is kind and winsome and maybe even has seen some miracles in his ministry does not mean that guy's from God. You guys hear me? Don't be deceived. You see, we're called as Bible-believing Christians to be discerning. We're called to be Bereans. You guys remember the difference between the Bereans and the Thessalonians, those Christians from the city of Berea, those Christians from the city of Thessalonica? What was the difference? Luke says in Acts that the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they went back after Paul preached to check him out. They went home, and they didn't pull out their leather-bound Bibles. What they did is that they unrolled their scroll of the scriptures, and they checked the Apostle Paul out. Hey, by the way, if the Apostle Paul needs to be checked out, so do I. You should be checking me out. You say, oh, pastor, I trust you. Well, thank you. Thank you, but check me out anyway. Be a Berean. Listen, check everybody out, especially the guys on TV. Check them out. It's not so much about their manner, if they're kind or winsome. That could just be a facade. What really matters is their message, right? Do they really believe in an eternal Christ, that he was virgin born, that he lived a sinless life? that he died a vicarious death, that he shed his blood on a Roman cross, that he died for our sins, that he rose again bodily from the grave three days later, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he's coming back literally. Do they really believe that book is the breathed out word of God? You see, it's the message that authenticates the preacher, not the manner. And so, look at verse 12. It says in verse 12 that it, the false prophet, exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. And so the coming political leader, the world dictator over the revived Roman Empire, he's gonna endorse this religious leader. 
It goes on to say that it, or the false prophet, makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. We learned last week that the Antichrist, the um, final form of global Gentile government will be the revived Roman Empire, and that Roman Empire died and now came back to life. Verse 13, it, the false prophet, performs great signs. Here it is. Even making fire come down from heaven. Imagine that. Woo, wow, this guy is something. In front of people, verse 14, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it, here it is, deceives those who dwell on the earth. Next point, the miracle-working false prophet will deceive the world into worshiping the Antichrist. That is his primary goal, to get people to worship this coming political leader. And you might be thinking right now, Pastor Mike, who in the world would ever worship a man? Um, millions and millions and millions of people did during the Roman Empire. Caesar demanded to be worshiped. And so you had to, once a year, take the pinch of salt and say, Caesar is Lord. Otherwise, they would kill you in the Roman Empire. This is a revived Roman Empire, and the same thing is gonna happen in the future as to what happened in the past. And so the primary goal of the false prophet, get people to worship the Antichrist. How? How is he gonna pull that off? He's gonna deceive them through lying signs and wonders. People are gonna say, look at how just magnanimous this guy is. And look, miracle signs and wonders are part of his ministry. He must be from God. We're gonna worship this political leader he's pointing to. So Satan loves to deceive people through lying signs and wonders. I just, I'll just give you a quick illustration. Exodus chapter seven, Moses and Aaron go into the presence of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. No more Egyptian slavery for the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Pharaoh, you gotta let these, these people of God go. What did Pharaoh say? Basically, who are you? Right, if you perform some kind of miracle, maybe I'll believe you. And so what did Aaron do? Aaron took Moses' staff and he threw it on the ground. And when it hit the ground, the staff became a snake. Bonafide miracle of God. But then, even though Pharaoh was impressed, all of Pharaoh's magicians, those who were involved in the occult, which has been around forever, or for a very long time, they threw down their staffs and what happened to the staffs of the magicians? They became snakes too. Bonafide miracle, not from God, from Satan. Now, thank God Aaron's snake swallowed up all the other snakes, showing that God's power is greater than Satan's power, but here's what you need to know. Pharaoh, because the magicians did a similar miracle, he was deceived and his heart was hardened. The same thing is gonna happen during the coming tribulation period. People are gonna see the miracle signs and wonders of the false prophet and they will be deceived and their hearts will be hardened toward the true God, the God of Israel. And, and some of your hearts right now are hardened toward the one and only true God. You think, well, why should we believe that the God of the Bible is the true God? Why not Buddha? 
Why not a hundred other religions around the world? What makes you so right and them so wrong? Well, I could go on and on for hours and hours. But listen, Buddha is dead in the grave. My God rose the third day. He's alive. Mohammed is in the grave. Jesus is alive. Listen, our message is not every religion is okay. Let's just all coexist. Listen, I will respect people because they're made in the image of God, but I will not respect a damning religion that causes people to go to hell forever. Never, ever, ever. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. You say, that's narrow-minded. That's my Savior, so I'm going to go with him. I'll see you later. Right? What are we afraid of? What are we doing sneaking around? Listen, I, I believe respect people. They're made in the image of God. But we have no reason to respect different religions that damn the souls of people. Where in the world was I? All right. Yes, they're going to be deceived by the lying signs and wonders of the coming false prophet. Speaking of signs, before we go on, look at what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day when they demanded he perform a sign. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to be so careful because some Listen, many Christians are all into miracle signs and wonders. And entire ministries are built on miracle signs and wonders. And the one main reason people go to these crusades and these church services is to get another miracle. And it's so sad because here's the thing. You don't have to drive two or 300 miles to get a miracle. You don't have to go to some whoever in some other city to try to get a miracle from God. How many of you guys believe the Holy Spirit lives inside of us? Right? Listen, I'm trying to get you to save some gas money. And we see it, waves come into the church. One of the waves, miracle signs and wonders. And so people get in their cars and they drive to all these remote places for some revival that's going on. And here's the thing, when the miracles are not happening, the leaders have to fake the supernatural to keep the crowds coming in, to keep the money coming in. And it's really sad. And so here's some really good advice. Don't seek for a sign, seek for the Savior. That's the truth. Seek him. Don't get off, don't get your focus all messed up on miracle signs and wonders. If God desired to do something miraculous in your life, praise the Lord. But if he chooses not to, praise him anyway. Listen, the greatest miracles are not physical, they're spiritual. I mean, come on, here we are. I don't know about you, but I'm going my own way and I'm doing my own thing and I'm sinning like there's no tomorrow and all of a sudden, some guy shares the gospel with me. The next thing I know, I'm putting my faith in Jesus and I feel the Holy Spirit of God coming inside of me. That's a miracle. That's something to get excited about. And not only that, he gave me a new heart. 
He caused me to be born again. He justified me. He sanctified me. He's going to glorify me in the future. When I come into a service like I did today, I feel the Holy Spirit all throughout this whole place. That's a miracle of God. Praise God for that. Listen, once you were dead in your sins and now you're alive in Christ Jesus, now you are walking in resurrected life. The greatest miracles are not the ones that last for one, two years, a decade, or 20 years. They're not the physical miracles. The greatest miracles are the ones that redound into the eternal future because God has done a spiritual work in our lives. We are primarily spiritual creatures. Now, I'm not downing physical miracles. Thank God when they happen. But man, don't get focused on signs and wonders. Seek the Savior. Now look at halfway through verse 14. The false prophet is deceiving those who dwell on the earth, halfway through 14, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And so halfway through the tribulation period, I'll say it once again, remember this, the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple and puts a statue, an idol, in the holy place, Matthew 24, 15. And then we see here the false prophet comes who's pointing people to this political leader and the statue of this political leader, he somehow gives breath to this idol and it, be, it becomes animated and it starts to speak. How in the world can that happen? Well, how in the world can magicians make staffs become snakes? Some people, some of the guys I read this week said, well, it's technology speaking through a robot. No, I don't think so. I think it's the power of Satan. He has the power to do lying signs and wonders. And so the false prophet is gonna command everybody to make their own idol to honor the Antichrist. And if anybody refuses to worship the beast, they will be, as we continue to study here, beheaded during the tribulation period. And by the way, there are millions and millions of valiant people who are, who are um, saved during the tribulation period and they will lose their heads and they will go straight to heaven and be with the Lord forever and ever. And so look now at verses 16 and 17. Also, the false prophet causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So during the Great Tribulation period, all commerce, all buying and selling, will be done through some type of governmental mark received in the right hand or in the forehead. Some guys believe this is a, just a tattoo. Others take it further. And so we know that the revived Roman Empire, the, the, the Antichrist, that, that during 42 months, he gains control over the entire world and the economy of the entire world, so you cannot buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast. So some commentators take it further, and they say, no, this is actually gonna be a microchip that's put underneath the skin. Interesting theory, especially when um, just three months ago, CBS put out this report. Check this out. 
Microchips implanted in human bodies could transform the way we tackle many everyday tasks. Some workers in Sweden are already developing and volunteering, volunteering rather, to have chips injected into their hands. The technology can make some tasks easier and reduce the amount of personal items employees need to carry. John Blackstone looks at the controversial trend and how it could put your privacy at risk. In a Stockholm business complex, employees gain access not with key cards, but with a wave of a hand. This is something that you can use just like a key badge. At a recent tech conference, Hannes Schoblad explained how a microchip implanted in his hand makes his life easier. It replaces all the keys and cards that used to clutter his pockets. I use this many times a day, for example, to unlock my smartphone, to open the door to my office. Schoblad calls himself a biohacker. We biohackers, we think that the human body is a good start, but there is certainly room for improvement. The first step in that improvement is getting a microchip about the size of a grain of rice slipped under the skin. Suddenly, the touch of a hand is enough to tell the office printer this is an authorized user. It felt pretty scary, but at the same time, it felt very modern. The microchips are radio frequency identification tags, the same technology widely used in things like key cards. The chips have been implanted in animals for years to help identify lost pets. Now the technology is moving to humans. A tech startup called Dangerous Things has sold tens of thousands of implant kits for humans, some to tech companies in Europe. Showblood even organizes implant parties where people can bond over getting chipped together. So the video continues to go on. They talk about how the, the biohackers really hope that the next generation of chips, because this technology will continue to advance, I mean, if the Lord tarries 10 years from now, that could be like dinosaur technology. But as it continues to advance, the biohackers are hoping that the next generation of chips are gonna be able, they believe it will be able to monitor your health and fitness and actually save your life if you're in trouble. So it's kinda easy to see, isn't it, that this technology will continue to advance, it'll, it'll go mainstream at some point. And so let me just clarify something really, really uh, as clear as I can, okay? If somebody takes a RFID, radio frequency um, identification grain of sand chip and puts it into their hand today, that does not mean they've taken the mark of the beast. You say, why? Because we don't live in the tribulation period right now. Plus, look very closely at verse 17. It says in verse 17 that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. It seems pretty clear there that those during the tribulation period who decide, let's say it's not just a tattoo, it's an RFID chip or something even more advanced, those who decide to do this it's gonna be identified with the, 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 the political leader, either his name or the number of his name. And so I believe that when they receive this, this, um, this mark, it will be them swearing allegiance to the world dictator. Does that make sense? And so you may decide if this technology goes mainstream in your lifetime uh, to get a little chip put underneath your hand. I'm not putting anything in my hands, okay, or my forehead, 
And, and, and it's, it's, it's the, the Bible says right hand or forehead, so if you decide to do this, make sure you use your left hand <laughs> just to be careful, okay? All right, last verse, verse 18. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. By the way, man's number, God's number is seven. Man always comes short of God. And his number is what? 666, 666. John said, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of this political leader. So I don't know if you knew this, um, but the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin languages, the alphabet, each letter has a numerical value. And so, you know, for centuries, I, I was reading Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, and how they were trying to figure out who the Antichrist was back in his day. So, so for centuries, Christians have looked at the evil, notorious men of their generation, and they have tried to add up the numerical value of the letters in their name, either in Hebrew or Latin or Greek. And over the years, you know, Nero, Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin, more recently, Osama bin Laden, and many, many others, um, people thought this is the Antichrist. Well, it, they, they could not have been the Antichrist because they're dead. And so we live in the time, listen, before the tribulation period. So ladies and gentlemen, we cannot be sure who this guy will be if he's even alive yet. But those who are gonna get saved during the tribulation period, they're gonna be able to identify him. How? He's gonna, Daniel 9, 27, he's gonna sign a peace treaty with Israel and her neighbors. A politician. And when they add up the number, the letters of the number of his name, whoever that will be, it will equal, I don't know if they're gonna use Hebrew, Greek, or Latin, but it will equal 666. Now, I wanna encourage you. Don't waste your time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, okay? And please don't send me emails <laughs> about who you think the Antichrist will be. Here's why. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. That's why. Because here's the, here's the thing. You could get really weird really fast if you change your focus and you start getting caught up in who's the Antichrist gonna be. And you could go on the internet and spend hours and hours and waste so much valuable time. Listen, we're not looking for the Antichrist. We live in the time right now before the tribulation period. So, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. This is 2 Thessalonians 2, 6. He tells them that right now, the lawless one, the Antichrist, is being restrained, that the restrainer is holding this guy back, but then one day in the future, the restrainer is gonna be removed, and then, everybody say then, then the Antichrist will be revealed. So who in the world can restrain the devil? I personally believe that only God can hold back the devil. I believe that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of born-again believers. And so when will the restrainer's, um, um, when will the Holy Spirit's restraining influence be removed? I believe, I am convinced 100% at the rapture of the church. 
And so we will be taken out, then the Antichrist will be revealed. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ to take us up. And so keep your focus where it should be. And I'm out of time, but I would love for you to go deeper into this. And so if you go to gotquestions.org, amazing website, answers thousands of Bible questions. Type in who or what is the restrainer, and you can get much deeper into what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit being the restrainer. And so I'm gonna leave you with these words, the words of the one who we focus on, Jesus. Listen to John 14, one through three. And maybe, maybe just close your eyes. Concentrate right now on the words of Jesus, our Savior. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you will be also. And so if you're thankful that Jesus the carpenter is making a place for you in heaven and where he is, you will be forever as you stand to your feet. Let's one more time, can we exalt our Savior, put our hands together, let him know how grateful we are for his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his power and his cleansing from his blood, the fact that he cares for you, the fact that he came to this earth for you, the fact that he's preparing a place for you, the fact that he provides for you, the fact that he takes care of you and your spouse and your kids, the fact that he's building his church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it, the fact that he is our hero and he is our king and he is our savior and he is our Lord and he's everything to us, the fact that we focus on him and not religion, a relationship and nothing else, it's him, it's him. Focus on him. You say, I'm having a hard time. Focus on him. You say, you don't understand the difficulty in my life. Jesus is the answer. It's a relationship with him. And I can't promise you that he's gonna make all things better in this life. But listen, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's there. Extravagant love. One of the greatest gifts God can give His children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm New Here, then Knowing Christ.